0: Make sure you've got your Bible there in front of you, keep it open in Hebrews, Uh, make sure you've got your outline there as well, it'll be a great help to you. Uh, And I hope you've been enjoying looking at this passage during the week in your gospel teams. Part of what we're trying to do on Sunday is give the big picture, and that gives you an opportunity uh, to dig into that big picture with more detail uh, in your gospel team. If you don't know what a gospel team is, or you're not in one, please come speak to me. It'd be good for you to be a part of one. But let me pray for God's help, and then we'll look at this next part of Hebrews. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the speaking God, and we pray that even though we might be a bit chilly this morning, uh, that our minds will be warmed by your word, and our hearts will be warmed to live for you in all that we do. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, today's passage is a little bit of a free kick uh, for me, the preacher, because if ever there was a passage where you're not allowed to tune out and you're not allowed to fall asleep, and you're not allowed to count the bricks on the wall behind you because you can see what people do from up here. Uh, but if ever there was, a, there was a passage where you're not allowed to be lazy in hearing what God has to say to us, this is the one. So you have a look at what, our, what our, our author says to his first hearers. Look at chapter 5, verse 11. Again, make sure you've got your Bible there. Chapter 5, verse 11, look what he writes to his hearers. He says, we have a great deal to say, And it's difficult to explain since you have become too lazy to understand. Literally too lazy to hear, to listen and understand. And if you just jump down to chapter 6 verse 12, near the end of our reading from this morning, chapter 6 verse 12, he says it again. He says, I tell you these things so that you won't become lazy. So if ever there's a week where you're not allowed to to be sluggish, this is the one. And really, that that fits with everything we've seen so far in this letter. Let me show you. Uh, I'm going to get you to do a little bit of Bible flicking now. Go back to Hebrews chapter 2. It'd be great to hear the Bibles flicking. I know some people are scrolling, but good to hear the Bibles flicking. And again, this is the week where I can say we're not allowed to be lazy and we can do some Bible flicking. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. Because look at what that says. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. What must the hearers do? Well, we must therefore pay even more attention to what we've heard, said the writer of Hebrews, so that we will not drift away. Well, now go to uh, chapter 3, verse 15. Flick along to chapter 3, verse 15. Because what must they do there? Chapter 3, verse 15. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion. So what must they do, those original hearers? They must listen. Not harden their hearts, but actually listen. Otherwise, like Israel of old, going now to chapter 4, verse 2. Chapter 4, verse 2. Otherwise, like Israel of old, halfway through verse 2 of chapter 4, the message they, Israel of old, heard did not benefit them. Why? Since they were not united with those who heard it in faith. In other words, they heard, but then they were lazy in their hearing. They heard, but they hardened their hearts. They didn't work at understanding what God was saying to them. And so this this issue of being lazy to hear and understand, it's been this constant theme in the letter so far. And it's been the constant warning. And this passage is probably the hardest of the warning passages we get in Hebrews. You might have realized it as Sal read it out. Uh, and you've hopefully realized that what the Hebrews writer does in this letter so far is uh, for for one section, he encourages his hearers, and then he warns his hearers. And then he encourages his hearers, and then he warns his hearers. And uh, as I was preparing during the week, I felt a little bit ripped off because as uh, Phil and I alternate the preaching, Phil encourages you each week, then I warn you. Then Phil encourages you, then I warn you. Uh, so it's it's bad cop week again. But uh, but in saying that, what we'll hear this morning, it's for our good. Uh, please get this. You see, why does the writer of Hebrews warn his readers in the way that he does? It's because he loves them. Uh, as we'll see, he, it's because he wants to see them mature. He, he wants them to be saved, to, to enter the rest, to persevere in Christ. And it's the same for us today as we hear this word of God. God gives us this word. Why? Because he loves us. Because he's, he's the father shouting out a warning to his son, shouting out to his daughter, wanting them to be safe, to remain safe. So please uh, hear my words this morning as words of love. Uh, perhaps I can be the caring cop instead of the bad cop. But let's jump in. And the first thing we see is the problem of their hearing is actually a problem with their maturity, with their immaturity. And so this is point one in your outline. And have a look again from chapter 5, verse 11. So make sure you're back at chapter 5, verse 11. Because the author writes, he writes, We have a great deal to say about this. And I take it that what he's referring to there is of Christ's priesthood in the order of Melchizedek that we looked at last week. And we'll go back to that next week. So he's saying we have a great deal to say about this, Jesus' high priesthood. But it's difficult to explain, not because it's hard but since you've become too lazy to hear and understand and he goes on to explain that what he means in verse 12 so verse 12 have a look verse 12 for although by this time you hearers you ought to be teachers you need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again you need milk not solid food and we need to be clear in what the, the Hebrews writer is doing here. He's trying to make the original readers uncomfortable. He's trying to make them feel a little bit silly. Uh, basically, he's like a father telling his teenager, you know, grow up. Stop being lazy. Uh, stop acting like a one-year-old. Stop sitting on the couch all day, eating chips and watching YouTube and then whinging about how life hard is. Not that any parents here can relate. But, but it's worse than that because... These aren't teenagers; they, these are adults, and these are adults who, by this time in their Christian life, well, they should know better. Uh, picture it like this: you know, what would you think of, of the adult who, on their bedside table next to their bed at home, instead of uh, some Icelandic crime novel like Phil likes to have on his bedside table, uh, they had a book on the ABCs and the one, two, threes. You know, imagine an adult for their nighttime reading before they fall asleep that they start reading, ah, you know, A is for apple, and B is for ball, uh, I is for influenza, which my family had last week. See, it, it's, it's that sort of uncomfortable that the writer of Hebrews wants his readers to feel. They, they ought to be teachers by now, verse 12, yet they're reading the ABCs. They ought to be able to share the basics of the Christian faith to others. But they're like adults, you know, clasping onto their milk bottles. Imagine a a baby, a toddler, lying on the ground with the legs in the air, sucking away on their bottle. That's the picture. They're still being taught the basics. And you see that by the immature way they're living. So have a look at verse 13. Verse 13, he writes, Now everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness, because he's an infant. And again, that's, that's fine and right for a time. Uh, babies need to be babies. New Christians need to be new Christians. Both of them, But both of them need to, to mature. And so verse 14, look at verse 14. But solid food is for the mature. It's for those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. And so I hope you can see the point so far. See, the, the, the writer of this letter is saying to the readers, Grow up in your Christian faith. It's time to progress, it's time to get onto solids. You know, how long have you been Christians? It's time to mature. It's time to become more and more like Jesus in your Christian life. And verse fourteen gives us a picture of what that maturity and that progression looks like. And he says in verse fourteen, it's it's the ability to distinguish between good and evil to know what's right and to know what's wrong, to know righteousness, to know God's way, and so to live more and more like Jesus. You see, the Christian who fails to grow is like the adult still sucking on a dummy. That's the picture. I like the way W.H. Griffith Thomas puts it. It's up on the screen. He says this. He says, Spiritual babyhood is natural and beautiful directly after conversion... But just as it would be in things physical if a person's development was arrested and he continued a babe in mind and body for several years, so it is in things spiritual. The spiritual charm of the babe in Christ becomes the very opposite of beautiful if the the believer remains a babe for years. You see, that's the point here. The believers of this Hebrews letter, they should be progressing... They should be maturing in their Christian life, but instead they're still on milk. Uh, They're being too lazy to hear, too lazy to understand, too lazy to live out the implications of the Christian life. And so with that, the writer, what he does is he exhorts them. Uh, And this is point two in your outline. He exhorts them. He says, let us, therefore, go on to maturity. So have a look, chapter 6, verse 1. Chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, since solid food is for the mature... Since you've been on milk far too long, chapter 6, verse 1, therefore, leaving the elementary message about the Messiah, let us go on to maturity, not laying again the foundations of repentance from dead works and faith in God, teaching about ritual washings, laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. See, it's very basic. It's saying it's time to move on. It's time to mature. And don't uh, misunderstand what this is saying. It's not telling the readers to, to leave the foundation behind. It's not saying that they need to to, to move on from the, the, uh, the elementary message about Jesus altogether. That's not the point. Rather, the point is they need to build upon the foundation of Christ. And a good way to picture this is like a high-rise building. Uh, if ever you've lived near a high-rise or if you've driven past one, uh, uh, you know, on the way to work as it's being built, you've probably noticed that they spend months just digging the hole. They spend months with the groundworks, laying the foundations, securing the footings, pouring concrete. It takes a lot of time. You kind of think, what are they doing? They're, they've been there for six months and nothing's happened. But then once the foundation's done, it, it starts to go up much more quickly. They build upon the foundation. They build layer upon layer upon layer on top of that foundation, floor after floor until you get this finished And it's mature building. And it's the same with the Christian life. Yes, make sure you get the foundations right. Make sure the foundation is key in your life. The whole of the Christian life depends on the foundation, that is, Jesus. But then build upon that foundation. You're supposed to grow in likeness of Christ and build upon it. The Christian is to grow and if they don't well it's like this useless big hole in the ground uh, it's as useless as a building that never gets never gets built and so the writer of hebrews at this point he does not want to lay again the foundation of the gospel for his hearers it's saying no no you know it it's time to move on and if you look at verses 1 and 2 he lists out what he means by the foundations And uh, I take it that's not an exhaustive list, uh, but they are the things that they should be clear on by now. We won't go through all of them, but uh, perhaps have a look during Gospel Team. Because the prayer is in verse 3. The prayer is verse 3, God willing, they will now go on to maturity. They will now grow up. They will now be able to distinguish between good and evil. No righteousness. No more milk. Uh, Tough cookies, is is what he's saying. Um, But this is where we get to the highly controversial warning about falling away. And before we get bogged down in all the questions that, that we come to with these verses, I want us to think hard about how these verses fit with what we've just seen, because that's key. You see, what does the writer of Hebrews not want to do? What, what is he saying that he doesn't want to do? He doesn't want to keep feeding them milk. He, he doesn't want to lay again the foundation of the gospel for these hearers. In his mind, there's no point. There's nothing to be gained in doing that. Why? Because they should already understand those foundations. And more than that, they've already accepted those foundations. Uh, We've got to remember as we read this, these are are not new Christians. Uh, They're not hearing or experiencing the gospel for the very first time. Uh, The writer expects them to be teachers. He expects them to be able to share the gospel, the, the, what they know about Jesus, with other people. But if they now want to question those foundations, if they now want to even reject those foundations, well, the writer is saying, even then, there's no point in telling you the basics again. What's the point? You know it. You, you've experienced the fruit of the gospel. You've uh, experienced the joy of hearing of the forgiveness in Jesus and what God has done in his son for you. You've experienced being part of a Christian community. Uh, You've been part of that community. You've heard the word of God and and, and heard it declared of who Jesus the son is. There's no point in telling you again the basics of the gospel. There's no point in giving you more milk. See, that's the point with verse 4. Have a look at verse 4. And these are the hard verses. Verse 4. He says, This, why do I not want to keep giving you milk? For it is impossible to renew to repentance those who were once enlightened, who tasted the heavenly gift, who became companions with the Holy Spirit, who tasted God's good word and the powers of the coming age, and yet who have fallen away. So he's saying, in other words, if a person has known and heard and experienced all the blessings of the gospel, even had God's Spirit work in them to help them see the truth of that gospel, and then they fall away, and then they reject Jesus, well, it's impossible to renew them to repentance. There's no more to be said. You've heard about Jesus. You've heard all there is to hear, and yet you've rejected the risen Jesus. And really, to go on arguing with them in their rejection, to again use the language of the passage, to give them more milk... Well, that actually brings insult upon Jesus. See, look at verse 6. To do that, to give them more milk, verse 6, well, in that, they are re-crucifying the Son of God and holding him up to contempt. You see, what did Jesus say on the cross to those who were crucifying him? Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. But the ones who know of the risen Jesus, the ones who've been part of the Christian community and have experienced the fruit and blessing of the Christian life, they know very well what they're doing when they turn their back on Jesus. They know very well that they're rejecting the Son of God. And that brings shame upon Jesus. Now we must hear these words for what they are. They're a warning. And they're a very real warning. that The writer of Hebrews is saying to his hearers, it's time to grow up. It's time to mature. You know the foundations. But if now you want to go off and and reject those foundations, well, be warned if you want to change your mind about that. Did you notice that in verses 4 to 6, it speaks of of them? It speaks of those who. It's not not, uh, we. It's not us. It's not you that the author writes at that point. He's not He's not making a declaration about them at this point, but he's warning them. And I said this a few weeks ago. We could at this point you know, get bogged down in all sorts of debates about whether or not a Christian can fall away. Uh, from one perspective, no, a Christian cannot fall away. If God has elected someone to be his, if God has elected someone to be a Christian, it's impossible for them to fall. Uh, it's, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. But then we all know people who claim to be Christians and you know very well from what you see of their lives and and what they do with their lives in the end that they're they're actually not Christians. And in that sense, yes, people can fall away from their own confession of being a Christian. They reject Jesus. But that's not the point of this passage. And that's not the point even of this warning. The point of the passage is grow up, mature in your Christian life. Keep growing. And the warning is, don't fall away from Jesus. Don't change your mind about the foundations of the gospel. Don't harden your hearts. And that's what you see in the illustration there in verses 7 to 8. You see, the hearers of this letter, if you look at verse 7, they're like ground that has drunk the rain that has often fallen on it. They have heard the message of the gospel. They've They've heard the truth about Jesus over and over again, and so they've experienced, so they're expected to to bear fruit. Uh, They're expected to produce vegetation, verse 7, to be mature, to discern between good and evil, because they've heard the gospel. They should be growing. But, verse 8, if you have a look, verse 8, if having drunk all that rain, again, having heard the message of the gospel, and yet they produce thorns and thistles, Verse 8, and yet they reject Jesus. Well, that ground, if you have a look at verse 8, it's very strong. Verse 8, that ground is worthless and it's about to be cursed and will be burned at the end. You see, it's a strong warning, isn't it? Going on to maturity for these hearers to grow up as a Christian, it's it's not a nice to have. It's not the cream on top. It's not the, you know, you go to the hipster coffee shop and they do the kind of latte art on top. And you're like, oh, that's really nice. It doesn't make the coffee taste any better, but it's nice. It's not that. In a Christian life, it's not a nice to have. We must go on to maturity. That's the point. And the writer here, he's confident that they will. So have a look at verse 9. And notice now how he uses the language of we and you. It becomes personal again. Verse 9 He says this, even though we are speaking this way, dear friends, and the affectionate language there, even though we are speaking this way, dear friends, in your case, we are confident of the better things connected with salvation. In other words, he's saying, I'm sure you will hear the warning. I'm sure you will go on to maturity. And in verse 10, he gives the reasons for his confidence that they've shown works of love, that they've been serving of the saints. And the end of verse 10, he encourages them, encourages them to keep on serving in this way. You see, we need to hear this for what it is. Yes, the writer's being blunt. Yes, the writer's giving strong words. But he's saying it for their good. Uh, do you remember those conversations uh, you had with your parents when you were a kid? Uh, or maybe you remember having them with your own kids. But uh, when mum and dad, give you, they give you a bit of a telling off. So uh, you know uh, your schoolwork's been slipping a little bit when you 're a kid, or you get the end of your report, and it 's not so great and so uh, you know, Mum and dad sit you down and they give you the lecture about being too lazy, or maybe you 're more diligent than me, you never had the talking to, but i did but uh, but mum and dad they would always say i 'm saying this for your good i 'm saying this because I love you i 'm not trying to dishearten you I I love you i 'm saying this because i don 't want you to be too lazy, and then fall behind. Uh, It's funny how that conversation feels so different now when I give it to my kids as opposed to when I got it as a kid. But see, look at verse 11. It's that same sort of feel and real care. Verse 11, he writes this, Now we want each of you, again, each one of them, we want each of you to demonstrate that same diligence, the things we saw in verse 10, their work of love, for the final realization of your hope. So that you won't become lazy, but will be imitators of those who inherit the promises through faith and perseverance. In other words, he's saying, I want each of you to keep going and not to be lazy in your hearing. I want you to realize your final hope. I want you to inherit the promises. that The promise we saw back in chapter 4 of the rest. So that you won't be left behind. You see, that's what's at stake in remaining an infant, in remaining a babe in the Christian faith. It's actually salvation that's at stake. It's, it's eternity that's at stake. And we won't have time uh, to look at verses 13 to 20. Please look at those in your gospel team. But if you quickly skim your eyes over uh, verses 13 to 20, those verses help us to see what the mature Christian life looks like. It's a life of faith. Of, of trust. It's a life of perseverance, of trusting the promises of God continually, continually trusting Him. It's, it's, it looks like the example of Abraham and his faith and perseverance. But I want to finish uh, by seeing how this relates to us today. And this is the final point in your outline. What must we learn from this passage? You see, again, for all the details of the passage, the main point is very simple. Do not be a lazy hearer and follower of Jesus. Rather, go on to maturity. That's the point. And I realise that will apply uh, different to each one of us uh, and it will apply in different ways. So for one, if you're a new Christian, then be a babe. Uh, If you're a new Christian, it's okay to keep drinking the spiritual milk. It's good to have the foundations laid over and over again. Uh, if you're not yet a Christian, if Jesus is not yet your Lord and Savior, then spend some time grasping the foundations. Uh, drink the spiritual milk. Understand Jesus' death for your sins. You need to do that. You need to get the foundations. But there will come a time when then you need to leave the milk bottle behind. And there'll come a time when you need to go on to maturity. And many of us here, we are the maturing Christ, uh, Christian. We're confident of We're confident of maturity. And so point B there is what does this say to the mature Christian? Uh, One of the things that's been really encouraging over the last two weeks is how itching people have been to get to Melchizedek. Uh, I don't know if you found that in your conversations with people or even in your own gospel team. Uh, I've got two men's gospel teams and they're both acting like little children. It's like being in a candy store. They're all kind of trying to push ahead to Melchizedek and I'm trying to hold them back because their eyes are like, oh, I want to understand this Melchizedek thing, which is really encouraging Which is great, because part of the issue for the original hearers in this letter is that they were too lazy to learn about Melchizedek, which we'll get to in chapter 7, so you'll still have to wait. But it's really encouraging that people want to learn, they want to grasp, what's this Melchizedek thing and what's that all about? It sounds strange, I want to know. That's good. And so for many of us who are maturing, the message here is really simple, keep going. If you're maturing in your Christian life, keep going. The passage here, it's not supposed to make you feel guilty. It's not supposed to make you question your love for Jesus. It's actually a good reminder to help you see that you're on the right track. Be encouraged by these words, because you hear them and you go, praise God, I'm maturing. That's the point. But for others of us, we might be what I'm calling in point C, the stagnating Christian. And for this person, they know they're not maturing as a follower of Jesus. Uh, and so they know that, you know, it's, it's, it's been weeks. Maybe it's been months since they've read their Bible uh, outside of Sunday, outside of gospel team. Uh, it's been months or years since you've read a Christian book to, to stretch your mind, uh, to, to grow in your understanding, to discern better between good and evil. And often this person, uh, you see it particularly as people have been Christians for decades, but often this person was once the maturing Christian. Uh, Perhaps they served on beach mission for years in their early 20s. Uh, They used to come to church on a Sunday and you see them walking church with the notepad in hand. And and during the sermon, they'd be writing all the notes down because they want to learn and grow in their understanding of Jesus. Every week, they'd come excited to hear and understand about their great God more and more. But now, now they count the bricks. uh, or They they look at the ceiling and, and the way that the beams work. Uh, Their mind wanders during church, the the, the chores at home that you've got to do, the stresses at work, the next holiday you're looking forward to, that next purchase that you've been googling that you want to buy. And it's not just church on Sunday. During the week, well, sometimes for, for Christians now, God isn't even an afterthought. He's not an afterthought during the week. He's just not a thought at all. Uh, one of the books I've been reading lately is this. It's up on the screen. It's, uh, it's 12 Ways Your Phone Is Changing You. I don't know if you've read it. It's a Christian book. Uh, it's American, so you've got to kind of like read past the Americanness. But uh, it's good overall. And in the book, uh, the writer says this. He says, He says, We check our smartphones about 81,500 times each year. That's once every 4.3 minutes. How many times have you checked your phone during church today? Of our waking lives, our smartphones amplify the most unnecessary distractions as they deaden us to the most significant and important distractions. As in every age, God calls his children to stop, study what captures their attention in this world, weigh the consequences, where in our chapter the consequences is eternal life, and fight for undistracted hearts before him. You see, isn't it easy to be a stagnant Christian? To be a stagnating Christian in our modern world. To be so distracted. And maybe for you it's not your phone, maybe it's, it's work, uh, maybe it's study, maybe it's hobbies, maybe it's Netflix. I don't know what it is. But for some of us here, we need to be careful that we're not being so lazy to hear. And because we're so lazy to hear from our God, therefore our lives are not lived our great God. And I suspect, like me, all of us are the stagnant Christian at times. It can come and go in our Christian lives. We know this. But the danger is in remaining that stagnant Christian. And the reality is, the stagnating Christian, if they do not change, they become the land of thorns. They become that land of thistles, from verse 8. You know, they're like that 10-story building. I don't know, again, if you've seen this before, where Uh, They start to build the building and it gets three stories up and then it just sits. They've run out of money. And what do they do with the 10-story building that only got the three stories and sits around? In a couple of decades' time, it gets demolished. It decays and it's done for. Uh, It's the curious case of Benjamin Button. Do you remember that slightly odd movie? I don't know if you've seen it. It's a bit of an interesting one, but the man is born old. And instead of aging through life, he gets younger through life until he's an infant again. And then he just suddenly, somehow in the movie, disappears. It's a bit weird. Well, that's what happens with the Christian who ceases to mature. See, let us not be lazy in the hearing and living of God's word. That The Christian who ceases to be mature, they go backwards. They become less mature first. And then they become immature until finally they are Christian no more. See, brothers and sisters, hear the warning of our Heavenly Father. Let us hear him. Let us go on to maturity. That's the simple message. And I know, again, I'm playing uh, bad cop this week, or hopefully caring cop. But we must also hold this passage with what we heard last week. Do you remember what we heard last week? And we'll go back to it next week with Jesus as high priest. But last week, there was a message of hope. And actually our passage, if you look at the end of chapter 6 in verses 19 and 20, it's the same message of hope. It finishes with the hope that we have in Jesus, our great high priest. We remember that what we can do is approach God's throne with boldness, asking for his help in our time of need. Asking him that we will not be lazy. Asking him that by his spirit he will help us mature and go on to maturity. So let me ask God for that help now. Let me pray. Well, Heavenly Father, we pray, uh, please, that you help us as your creatures made, created by you to live for you, that we will not be lazy, that we would actually hear you, listen to you, seek to understand you so that we live lives that glorify you, but actually we live lives that are best for us, the lives that we were created to live. Please help us to go on to maturity, to become ever more like Jesus, your son. And please help us to hear the warning that to be A Christian who's stagnating or to be someone who rejects Jesus altogether, well, that's to be that land of thorns and thistles that eventually will be burned up. Please help us to hear that warning. In Jesus' name, Amen.